Hello, North Star Community Podcasters. I am Scott. And I am Teresa. We are down here at North Star Community, not that it matters where we are, to bring you a podcast recap. Um, and before we get into that, before we get into this most recent message that uh, Teresa delivered, um, I think you kind of wanted me to set up, you know, you felt like the overall, the overall overarching point or like the thing that you said you'd wished you had said yeah was tied to the message that came before um and so the message that came before part of that part of that message was about this passage where Paul kind of talks about the gospel is veiled it's difficult to see in other words God's work in the world it's difficult to see to recognize and to interpret which is um a surprising kind of thing to say, yeah. Because uh, I don't think that we often receive that message in faith communities. We're just jumping right in here. Did I give you a chance to introduce yourself? I said my name. That's okay. good enough. All right. Um, yeah, my, you my did brain's jump racing. Right in. We had this whole long conversation <laughs> before we hit the record button, just to give you a peek behind the curtain. So our brains and our minds and our mouths are already rolling before we ever even hit record. So you're playing catch up, listener. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really loved that point that you gave embedded in your message from a few weeks ago. What passage did you use? I was Second Corinthians 4, uh, kind of selected verses from, from there. And uh, what were they in particular? Uh, the ones we read were 5 to 10. Okay. Um, what, did you want me to read them? Um, I kind of did because... Um, I love the point so much, but then I kept forgetting what your scripture reference was, which is a no-no for me in learning points. So I'd love the listening audience to have the benefit of hearing where you where you got that from. In a world where everyone is so darn certain about what God is up to, right? I'd like to really nail that point home. We had read 5 to 10, but it's sort of... Um... It's funny because um, the the point about the gospel being veiled comes earlier. Um, um, he's talking about, I guess, God's ministry of reconciliation. Um, I man, it's so hard to know where to give context and where mm-hmm. not, and how much to give. But at the beginning of four, we'll go all the way back to one. This is why we don't get discouraged given that we received this ministry in the same way that we received God's mercy. Uh, and that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, the bringing together of people who um, have been ripped apart by conflict and differences. Instead, we reject secrecy and shameful actions. We don't use deception, and we don't tamper with God's word. Instead, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God by the public announcement of the truth. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are on the road to destruction. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't have faith, so they couldn't see the light of the gospel that reveals Christ's glory. Christ is the image of God. And this is the part that we read. We don't preach about ourselves. Instead, we preach about Jesus Christ as Lord. We describe ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. God said that light should shine out of the darkness. He is the same one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, but we have this treasure in clay pots that the awesome power belongs to God and doesn't come from us. 
We are experiencing all kinds of trouble, but we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. We are harassed, but we aren't abandoned. We are knocked down, but we aren't knocked out. We always carry Jesus' death around in our bodies so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies. I may have read too many verses there. But there's, there's sort of two pieces to that, which is, on the one hand, he's sort of suggesting that those who are not part of God's people are the ones who have the difficulty seeing what God is up to in the world. But then he goes on to talk to you about the fact that basically God's power comes to these clay pots, which is we're broken, we're fragile, um, we're not the most obvious vessels for carrying God's light into darkness. Okay, so, right? so I have the perfect perfect, much more sacred image to describe this. Which Indiana Jones movie was it <laughs> where he had to pick the cup of Christ? The third one, The Last Crusade. The Last Crusade. Ended up being the second to Last Crusade, I guess, because they made a fourth one. But yeah, go on. Not worth remembering that one. Um, and he picked this humble little cup, right? Yep. And the so cup of a carpenter. It it the cup of a carpenter. So it is just it's just that. I mean we're always talking about how God turns the world upside down and we keep looking for silver chalices. Um, but we're always talking about pots of clay. And then to carry that one step forward as a baby potter myself. Literally, she is. Literally, she is learning how to create things out of clay. Yes, and mainly they look like something that a third grader made. But that, I'm going to persist. Um, but the thing of it is, is that you know the master potters always say to the baby potters, never hold anything too tightly in your hand, because stuff explodes in the kiln all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So no matter how great you think something is, when you make it, in the uh, firing process, uh, it sometimes comes out almost unrecognizable to you. So clay is just a very humble uh, piece of material to work with. And it's things fragile. come out rough and fragile, and there are bubbles in it, and it explodes. And yeah. and I think one of the things that you said that I also find useful for that metaphor is, um, I think you and Sophia were talking. You and Sophie were talking about the fact that you can't always predict, that you can't ever predict which things are going to blow up in the furnace. Right. right? So there's like, right. you're hanging on loosely, not just because they're fragile, but because it's unpredictable. It's not like the better made things are always going to withstand the process. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of interesting as well. Yeah. So anyway, that was the background. And then I then I turned my attention to uh, Matthew chapter 13, um, which upon reflection, I think, is probably one of the more triggering verses in the Bible. And I have um, resolved in myself to um, lay off of them for a while, having done several really hard passages of Scripture lately. So before we do that, one of the things you said before we started rolling is you said, uh, this is what something, you said something like, this is what I wished I had said. 
Yeah. So should we get that out of the way at the outset? Yeah, can you we had, do that? Because you had also tied it to the prior message. So we had this prior message, and in case we didn't make that clear enough, it's like God has chosen fragile creatures to make himself known through, which means that it's difficult to see what God is up to, yes. right? And at the same time, when you see wonderful things from these fragile things, then you know it's God. That's yes. sort of the logic of what... Yeah. of what Paul is saying. So on the on the heels of that what were you what were you adding? Well, I think first let me just be real vulnerable and say that what I said before I said the point was I always wish I could give a message to people that I didn't care a whit about so that I could refine the message so that I could give a clearer message to the people I love. But I guess that would be counter to the point of uh, clay pots and fragile people doing things in ways that make it hard uh, to see what God is up to. So that would be incongruent, so I'll give up that wish that I had a test audience of zombies to improve my message giving. Uh, That being said, I think that the overarching point that I really wished I had been able to communicate is it is in a world where honest people struggle to know who God is and what he's up to. In a world where it's very confusing and there are legitimate hard questions about who God is and the nature of evil and all that stuff, the bottom line of this Matthew 13 parable, in spite of all its triggering imaging, is that in the end, all this stuff gets sorted out. But it will never be sorted out by mere mortals. It's only going to get sorted out by Jesus. And um, I wish I had said that. I didn't say it, uh, but I wish I had. Part of the beauty of the podcast is you get to take, you get to hit the reset button a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a big reset for this message. Man, I wish I'd said it. But go ahead. Why don't you show them the uh, verse, the verses? You want to read that? Yeah, so I guess we should start trigger warning, yeah. right? Um, because this is, you know, the Bible has uh, obviously difficult imagery in it. And um, I think the way, because we've received so many turn or burn messages, which yeah. were not really part of the Jesus's day and age, uh, we respond differently to these images than the people of those times. Fire was a cleansing agent. It wasn't an agent of destruction. It was a purifier. And that alone makes very different, you know, knowing that just even in itself would make for a very different reaction to some of the things that, that are right. said using that that imagery. But all right, everybody uh, buckle your safety belts. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. And while people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalk sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? An enemy has done this, he answered. And the servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? But the landowner said, no, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. 
Let both grow side by side until the harvest, and at harvest time I'll say to the harvesters, First gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. Yeah, and when we did the message for the weekend, um, one thing I had done is I'd said, this is very triggering language. Try to breathe through it. Um, And it's my observation that that was asking people to do not only hard things, which we can do, but an impossible thing. So people got really um, tied into God burning in their mind people as punishment for being weeds. And we had some discussion about, well, are people born weeds? (laughs) Um, And that really is pushing the limits of what the parable is supposed to teach us. So a parable is supposed to teach one main point. We're not supposed to, wait for my little pun here, get caught up in the weeds of a parable. And, um, and we did that, and it was kind of probably unavoidable as a result of my selection of the passage. So we'll probably have to revisit this after we read Jesus' explanation, but one of the things I would say along with your point is people get attached to that word burned, but this is a metaphor, right? right. Parables are, all, are always metaphors, and the point isn't what Jesus is doing to what. It's the idea that there's a separation for the, and I'll say more about this a little later, but there's a separation of those who have rejected God and God's ways from those who haven't. Right. Right? There are those who reject God and those who accept God, or, or however you want to, however you want to phrase such a thing. Well, well, I like the way Dallas Willard says it. He says, uh, I suspect everyone will get a place in heaven who can stand to be there or something. Stand to be there, yeah. So this isn't about separating good and bad, light and dark. Um, That's not the point of this message. As I said before, evil and good gets all sorted out. And um, I think we took it really, you know, personally and felt like, oh, my gosh, could could I be a weed? And that wasn't really at all the point of this. Yeah, and I think the idea is that, you know, um, it's the, it's the, it's also addressing this very large question of why is there evil still in the world? Yeah. Right? And it's like, it's so intertwined, evil is so intertwined with the good that it, it can't really be pulled out now. We have to wait until the time is right. Yeah. And... That's really the point, right? And and I think to tie to to because because that's where I think you were ultimately going with it because there's this idea from the prior week that it's difficult to discern what God's doing in the world, and right. we have this question of why. Right. And part of why it's so difficult is because evil is so intertwined with the good, which means it's very difficult to discern. And we know that God's going to sort that all out one day. But evidently, the timing's not quite right yet. Yeah. And that's really kind of what this parable is doing. Yeah. And which means that, therefore, the implication is, is us trying to sort it out um, with our limited energy pool and our limited capacity is kind of a waste of time. And um, the second week of this message, I talked about that. But to that end, because I bet you're going to move on to the 
retelling of that uh, parable and explanation that Jesus gave the disciples a little further along in the passage. Um, you know, I read a lot, a ton of stuff. And um, in one of my journal articles this week, uh, there was a really interesting article done about how therapeutically speaking, trying to understand the whys and wherefores of a situation, in particular in dealing with someone in, her, in our life who is um, not a very good person, the therapists are saying in unison, pretty unified voice, that that is a huge waste of time and not not very healthy either. So you're I never like, going to get the you're never going to get a, a a good answer. You're never right. going to get a good answer, and that that can really be a distraction to your healing. Yeah. So, um, if I were footnoting their journal article, I would refer to Matthew 13. Yeah. Okay. Now show us the second part of that. Yeah. Well, I I guess I wanted to add a comment on. I mean, I love that because. It's like focus on what you can get. Yeah. Focus on where you can find healing. Um, focus on um, the things that will be upbuilding for your life. Because I think trying to focus on a why when you never get the why is like to let the person keep harming you over and over again. Because there's no good answer other than like, I mean, in the case of your dad, he just was in cape well i mean i think i'm not sure how to phrase this exactly but if he loved you the way he the way you wanted to be loved he never showed you that right right and there's no good reason as to why and so if you keep asking the question why the only answers would be either he couldn't figure out how he didn't want to he couldn't and those things are all even harder to deal with. Or I was asking for the wrong things or I was ungrateful or whatever. And that's what the therapists were saying is that when you keep searching for the why, um, even if there was one, it would be a shot in the dark as to whether you got there or not because you don't have all the information. So Right. Yeah. And it would probably just be more hurtful. Very self-destructive. Okay, so then in this passage, so, Jesus does a really cool thing. He circles back around. He gives an explanation, yep. Yeah. And, what, is uh, he, what does Jesus say? He says, The one who plants the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the followers of the kingdom. But the weeds are the followers of the evil one. The enemy who planted them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the present age. The harvesters are the angels. Just as people gather weeds and burn them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. The human one will send his angels, and they, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. He will throw them into a burning furnace. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Those who have ears should hear. See, now, I don't know why it's so upsetting to people that other people are getting thrown into a furnace and they're weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, I mean... Okay, I'm being sarcastic. Of course. It is It is gruesome imagery. <laughs> it's the thing that's really hard for me, and I, I had this conversation with some people after, the, after that message, is like we recognize perhaps that there's a difference between 
true, truly evil, people who truly reject God, and people who make mistakes. Yeah. Right? There's like a clear difference between people who make mistakes and people who are truly evil. Yet every time we read a passage like this, people who make mistakes think they must be the truly evil ones. I know, right? And to me, that's just really, really sad. But can can I say something about good versus evil really yes, quick? Please and do. righteous versus un- unrighteous? So the way that people in this day and age would have thought about things good and evil, righteous and unrighteous, is about who are you following? Where is your allegiance, right? So there's like that Romans passage that everybody uses and puts the emphasis on a different syllable, which is, um, I can't remember which, I, I'm trying to sort out the different translations in my mind, but if you believe, um, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that passage. Yeah. So saying that Jesus is Lord is establishing this is where your allegiance lies. This is who you follow, right? It's not the people often put the emphasis on believe in your heart and say it with your mouth, but it's really more about where is your allegiance? Who is Lord? Is it Jesus or is it some other God or thing? Right. And righteous and unrighteous is tied to who you're following, not your moral purity, Right. We live in a, in a country that had literal Puritans, and we're still trying to recover from that, who would only talk about moral purity. And that's not the issue. The issue is which group are you identifying with? Are you identifying with the group that follows God or not? And those who are righteous are in the group following God, and they may make mistakes, but that does not make them unrighteous. Right. Is this... Is that clear? Yeah, that's very clear. That's very clear. Too bad I didn't say that. But yeah, that's ex- that's extremely clear. And can I say one other thing yeah. about the end times because it's so tied to this passage? Yeah. I would have to look up the exact verses because I don't know them off the top of my head. But there's this idea, there's a certain, there's several different strands of thought about what happens in the end times. And... There is, most people believe that there is this separation based on parables like this. But there are verses that imply that the separation is temporary and that one day, even those who have been separated will have the opportunity again to choose to follow God. And I can't remember where those verses are and I can look them up and you're welcome to send me an email if you want them. But the idea being, I and I think it comes back in Revelation that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Right. And many people interpret that as being like eventually even those who have been separated will see the truth of God. And so this, even for those who have rejected God and chosen to reject God, that's not necessarily the end they will have another opportunity. And I think that speaks to the grace and mercy of the God who forgives for thousands of generations. Yeah, I do love that. So that's, I love that imagery. That's my piece on the end times and this separation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if people will find that useful or not, but that's often something that does not come up in these conversations. Well, and definitely I think it should. I think that um, uh, in the next podcast, we're going to turn our attention to what can we do 
in response to this passage, and I'm interested to uh, to talk about that because it is so sad to me and so fundamentally, uh, well, you said it a minute ago. You said, our country is still trying to recover from its puritanical roots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are so darn afraid that we're the weed that um, I think it just continues to distort not only our image of God, but our capacity for ourselves to be transformed yep. by the renewing of our spirit, which is Romans 12. And when we get anxious, we give up. Yeah, we give up, we give in, we self-medicate. And it just, it, it, it really quite drives me crazy because we end up self-sabotaging over and over and over again, born out of a hopelessness that need not be. And I think, you know, the language doesn't help because part of the separation in that passage that Jesus says, and I, I want to address this specifically so because in case people have questions about it, because he says all people who sin. Right. Now, we've thought about sin only in terms of like a, a, a discrete act, right? Like if I do something awful to you, that may be a sin, but sin is about, but what, what he's referring to, all people who sin, is he's talking about people who pursue a life completely apart from God, completely rejecting God, who get who are caught up in a kind of sinful lifestyle. Like their disposition is away from God and away from the the just, fair, and merciful treatment of human beings. Right. Right? And and so it's not just like if you do one act, you're in this group. It's you have to completely reject God turn away and have a whole disposition towards evil in order to be a part of that group. And um, the language makes that difficult, you know, w when we don't realize the context of what Jesus is talking about there, that language emphasizes what you're talking about, this idea right. that, um, yeah. That if you mess up, you're weed and ultimately you're going to get burned. Right. You know, you're going to burn, baby, burn. And I do think that we, as Christians, owe a continual amends to the world for our part in teaching it like that. Yep. In an attempt to manipulate people to bow their knee rather than um, the totality of the message, which that's not what it's talking about. So... Um, I think sometimes you and I kind of are always on a continual crusade to try to recover from our puritanical roots. Yeah, and I think um, people aren't... Uh, so we haven't, because of how Scripture has been used, we haven't trained people in asking the question, what else do we know? Yeah. And how does this passage fit into what else we know? Right. And so if every pass if if the weight of everything we believe is on every passage and we never ask what else we know from all the other stuff that's in there, then it's easy uh, to get trapped in the shame because that passage would seem hopeless if it was the only if the whole Bible was that passage. Yeah. Right? But the question is what else do we know that provides context to what Jesus is saying? 
which is you always have opportunities to turn, and he desires to show mercy to those who are willing to receive mercy. So can I um, depart from the message for a second and just go on a little personal rant? Um, Is that okay? Just a short rant. Sure. He says yes, but his face goes. No, I was just one, no, I was wondering why you thought there were rules to what happens in the podcast. Well, I was more confused than anything else. So, um, I think the thing. What happens in the podcast stays, stays in the, in the podcast. podcast. Uh, but I, um, you know, I lack a formal education in just about everything that I think I know, um, as you well know. Uh, but that doesn't mean I haven't been a continual student. And um, there was a season in my life where I received some training in how to study the Scripture. And I think it was one of the greatest gifts anyone gave me. Because in terms of um, teaching me how to look at Scripture, it it really, they kept nailing home this concept of context. Mm-hmm. You know, what do these words mean in light of this sentence, this paragraph, this book, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together, what does it mean in terms of the context of the whole of Scripture? And so what I would like to just pause to preach on for just a second is, do you think that any of us ever really... This is a rhetorical question. Okay, you good. Think I was that, getting nervous. I know. Do you think that any of us ever uh, can grasp all that context without decades and decades and decades of time spent immersing ourselves in the culture and the Word of God? No. Um, this stuff isn't easy. It's really hard. And... Um, So it's natural and normal for us to miss context. So the fact that Scripture's often confusing and complicated doesn't need to be discouraging, but it does need to be appropriately humbling. And so anytime I feel certain about what a particular passage of Scripture says, I... uh, hit the pause button in my own mind and remind myself of the very first thing you said, which is uh, understanding what God is up to is really hard, and it's always been really hard. So for what it's worth, podcast listener, (laughs) um, kind of expect scripture to be hard and to need um, some support and help and education and immersion in learning it. So I will forever and a day be a kindergartner when it comes to understanding what scripture says, and I'm okay with that because that makes me open to learn and um, such. I agree with everything you just said, and can I add one thing? So, and I think you will agree with this. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) (laughs) As important as I think all of that is, I don't think this issue is real, is ultimately, I think that part of the reason that this issue arose is is because the church was bad at context. But I don't think the solution necessarily is context, because I think that the problem that 
people have when they hear these passages is the is fear and anxiety that they aren't loved. Oh, right? I totally agree with you. And that. so I think that that is not a problem. Now, I don't know. This is so let me be clear. I do not know what the solution for that is. I'm skeptical that the solution of that is in the scripture itself and more to be found in supplanting oneself in a loving spiritual community where you can see, experience, and feel the love of God such that slowly over time your fear that God does not love you and that God wants to reject you fades away. Totally agree with that. And then I think you become more able and willing to tolerate and deal with these challenges because they aren't these affronts to this basic need to be accepted by your creator. They become confusing things that can be worked out on a somewhat intellectual basis. But what must come first, I think, is a little bit of emotional healing that can take place if you find a safe place to supplant yourself in for a while. I totally agree to that. I, I mean, I totally I, I, agree. I, I, I knew that that was not in conflict with what you were saying. And my point wasn't to say just redouble your efforts at Scripture because you're, you know, you don't know enough. No, and I don't think anybody would have heard you say oh, that. Oh, good. Because my point was, is, hey, it's confusing. But I don't think that the confusion of it is the central point. The central point is, I think, as you as you alluded to, this idea that, um, hey, God loves us. Breathe. If that's the central foundation, which is my central foundation at this point in my life for reading Scripture, then when something seems really startling like the burn passage and then weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, I don't receive that in a triggering way anymore because it's not central to the message. That was my point. Um, so yeah, that, and if you, again, this is difficult to do, but like somehow, you know, if you believe that God accepts you, then somehow along that process you can trust that God is good and therefore you can trust that his decisions about what he does with history is also going to be a good thing. Yeah. Right, and I think that's one of the other questions that comes up is, is he actually going to do what's good, or is he going to be kind of arbitrary and maybe unfair, and people who are who are good-hearted are going to get something they don't deserve? And I, I just don't, I, that's not the God that, that we worship, mm -hmm. but it is the one that, that our fear pushes us to ask questions about. Yeah, you know... Um... We're really uh, leaving the reservation on this, but I still think it's a good point worth uh, dodging around the other central points to say is based on the reaction we got the other weekend, I believe that people's greater fear is whether or not they are good and are capable of goodness, even more than what they think about God. Mm -hmm. Because... That was, um, it's just a speculation. But what I would say to you, our dear podcast listeners, is you were created in the very image of God. And if you for one second doubt your capacity for goodness, 
stop that. <laughs> um, and as we're going to talk about in our next podcast, let's even put that theory to the test a little bit. What? Put what theory to the test? Put the little theory to the test that you are the wheat. Let's test it. Let's oh. let's have a conversation about what if you're wheat? Yeah. I mean, not the GMO modified wheat that makes people's tummies hurt, <laughs> but the original ancient grain wheat that sustained people and kept people alive. Mm. Well, did, did you like that? Did you like what I did there? Uh, I don't know. I'm not big on the whole, like, let's get back to how people used to eat thing when they lived to be 45 years old. That's well, not my deal. Well, this is because you are not gluten intolerant. <laughs> what I would say is, uh, and I think you're right, I think you're going to get into it um, next. I think we're going to get into it in the next one. But goodness also doesn't have to be the grand gesture. No. Because I think that's the other thing that people shame themselves. I'm just an ordinary person. Therefore, how could I be that good? And uh, what I would say we're going to probably spend more time with that uh, next week. So what I would say is uh, stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely. Do you hear that? I do. Do you? I do. It's the music. From Blue Dot Sessions. Yes. And where can we find them? On sessions.blue. That's right. On the web. And uh, we are North Star Community. You can find us on the web at northstarcommunity.com. You can learn more about what we're trying to do specifically in the Richmond area at leadthewayrva.org. We have a campaign to get small businesses uh, involved in uh, combating um, the use disorder epidemic in our society. So you can learn more about it there, and you can figure out how to um, contact us, um, how to get in touch, and how to support what we're doing. As always, we appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.